We live in a fallen world. Because of the sin that was committed back in the garden, we're broken. And because of this, we are beset with the weakness of our flesh. We find ourselves growing anxious about our lives in the present. Sometimes we're anxious about the future. Sometimes we're anxious about life after death and death itself. And as people who are living in a fallen world, we are, we are pr- prone to put our trust in people and in things that are not God. As we endure trials and our faith is tested, we're forced to ask ourselves what we believe about God. Can we trust him, both now and in eternity? This morning we come to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and we remember that this psalm, and indeed all of Scripture, is about our Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm and all of Scripture is about our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this psalm, we will see that God indeed can be trusted. We will see that because what Christ has accomplished, we should entrust ourselves to God in this life and in the life to come. We're not sure of the specific circumstances surrounding David as he penned this psalm. But it seems as if his very life was in danger. And David proclaims confidence in his God, in our God. David is confident in the character of his God. He's confident that the Lord will preserve him both in this life and in the life to come. It's worth mentioning that the Psalms, the Psalms are glorious, aren't they? I'll commend to you daily meditation in the Psalms. For it's in the Psalms that we see the whole range of human emotion, circumstances. We hear the psalmist crying out to God from the depths of despair. And we join with the psalmist as they praise our great God. Certainly the psalms are worthy of our consideration. And in Psalm 16, again, we see that because of what Christ has accomplished, we should entrust ourselves to God both in this life and in the life to come. So I would invite you to stand this morning in honor of God and we're going to read Psalm 16 together. A Mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. 
Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can be seated. Father, we praise you for the truth that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Give us hearts to understand this morning. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm 16 calls us to entrust ourselves to God. We're called to entrust ourselves to God and we can do so because of what Christ has accomplished. So let's spend some time together looking at this psalm. And the first thing we're going to see is that we entrust ourselves to the Lord, first of all, by praying to him. If God is, if it's good for us to entrust ourselves to the Lord, we ask, ask this question, well, how do we do this? How do we entrust ourselves to the Lord? And the first thing that we see is, is we do so by praying to him. David begins by asking God to do something. Preserve me, he says. Preserve me, O God. Protect me. Keep me safe, he asks. This is David's prayer. He asks for the Lord's provision. Because in the Lord, he takes refuge. Refuge is security, it's safety. And David cries out to the Lord, preserve me, O God, for because in you I take refuge. This is a theme in the Psalms, seeking refuge in the Lord. We're familiar with this picture of protection. David writes elsewhere in Psalm 36, in verse 7, he says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What we see the psalmist doing often is is painting a picture for us to help us better understand the truth that they are communicating. And here he pictures the security of the Lord as wings. We think of a, a mother hen. And she gathers her chicks under her arms. Here is a place of safety and security. And protection. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You see, he's entrusting himself to the Lord by praying. In verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David here. Def- Confesses his dependence upon the Lord. 
you are my Lord. You'll notice Lord two times here in this verse. The first one is in all capital letters. This is the divine name. This is Yahweh. John Frame in his book, The Doctrine of God, talks about Yahweh, the the divine name, the covenant name. He says, Yahweh comprehends all that God reveals of himself. Yahweh reflects the attributes of control and authority and presence. Do we remember when, when God called Moses to go to Israel, to go to Egypt, to free his people Israel? In Exodus, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. This is Yahweh. This is the divine name, the covenant name. The second Lord there is Adonai. And again, Frame says, he, he stress, says that this stresses the ownership of creation. And so it's as if David is saying this. I say to the Lord, you who are in control of all things. You who rule over all of creation with perfect authority. You whose presence permeates the universe. You are my master. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This speaks of of well-being, not necessarily a character quality. I have no welfare apart from you, Lord. Back in Genesis chapter 50, we're familiar with this verse. We often talk about the sovereignty of God in our church, and this is good and right. We should. We remember the story of Joseph, and this familiar verse, Chapter 50 and verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? For good? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God meant it for good. God meant it for my well-being. This is the same word. David confesses, Lord, I'm dependent upon you for my well-being. So David entrusts himself to the Lord as he prays to the Lord for preservation or protection. He prays acknowledging his dependence upon God. And as he prays, he declares his devotion to God and to God's people. Verse 3, he delights in the saints as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent one in whom is all my delight. He loves the people of God. These are the excellent ones, the noble ones, the majestic ones 
Oh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We sang this morning. David uses this word to describe the saints. The saints are those who are devoted to the worship of the one true and living God and David delights in them. Do we love the saints? Do we love the brothers, the scripture says? The brothers and sisters. Do we love one another? John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is good. Do you want evidence of your salvation? Ask yourselves. Do you love God's people? Again, John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do we see? David delights in the saints. What joy there is in in loving one another. So in his prayer, David expresses his love for the saints, but there's also a contrast here. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God speaks of those who have taken to themselves another God. Those who are committing idolatry. Those who look to someone else for provision and protection. And so it's good for us this morning to just pause for just a moment and think, to whom do we look for provision and protection? David says that sorrows will increase for idolaters. In the Proverbs, we, re- we read that the way of the treacherous or, or the unfaithful is hard. We see this played out all around us, don't we? Perhaps we've seen it in our own lives. David wants nothing to do with them. His confidence is in the Lord alone. And so, so David entrusts himself to God by praying to him. And because of what Christ has accomplished We too should entrust ourselves to God and we do so by praying to him. Let's consider for just a moment Christ's work and our prayers. Christ's work and our prayers. When we pray, we come to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ having given himself as a once for all sacrifice provided access to God. Under the old covenant, God had provided a way for people to come to him through the sacrificial system. 
And when Christ came and inaugurated the new covenant, he made the old one obsolete and made a way for us to enter the throne room, as it were. We have access to God. Christ has made a way for us to approach the throne. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10 and verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We come to God in our prayers through our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Jesus is our advocate. An advocate pleads the cause of another. And that's precisely what our Savior is doing, even now. You see, there is hope in this for the believer. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. When we feel ashamed of of sins we've committed, when we don't know how to pray because we're so burdened with grief, when the flame of our faith is barely a flicker, then we remember what Christ has accomplished and we entrust ourselves to him by praying to him. We boldly come to the Father then through the Son. Not only do we entrust ourselves to the Lord by praying to him, but we entrust ourselves to God by praising him. We entrust ourselves to God by praising him. We praise the Lord by expressing our confidence and our contentment in him. Look at verse 5. David praises by proclaiming his confidence that his inheritance is sure. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord being David's portion is likely drawn from Numbers Chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. God would be, here in this context, God would be the inheritance for the priests. And one writer says, Then the priests serve as a sign that the Lord is the true inheritance for the believers. For the believer, David says, the Lord is my portion. This inheritance is far more than a physical land or blessing. In this life, it's, it's that we are fellow heirs with Christ himself. We are heirs of eternal life and eternal blessing in the Lord. David says, my Lord is greater than anyone or anything. And we can say the same this morning. Our Lord is greater than anyone or anything. Our inheritance is our Lord. What about the cup? We might say that the cup is is one's destiny. 
one's destiny. David says, the Lord is my cup, my portion, my inheritance. He is all. He goes on further and says, he holds my lot. In other words, he's confident that the Lord holds his future. Here is our confidence this morning. The Lord holds our future. There are no arbitrary outcomes with the Lord. Our God is not capricious or fickle. He is steadfast, immovable. Indeed, he is our inheritance. Proverbs 16 and 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. David's inheritance was sure. He was confident of it. And he praised God for it. And he continued to praise God by expressing his contentment in God. His contentment in God. Verse 6, he proclaims, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. This brings to mind the allotment of the land. God set before David life and goodness. His inheritance was beautiful because it was from the Lord. As we said, in fact, it, it is the Lord himself. We would do well to dwell on the fact that the Lord is our inheritance. One day our inheritance will be fully realized. We will fully understand, at least more fully than we do today, right? We will understand our inheritance where we will live in unhindered fellowship with our Lord. Today we struggle, but then we won't. No more heartache, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. The New Testament writers often remind us to look forward with great anticipation for the return of our Lord and the hope that is ours at his coming. Peter tells us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we're familiar with the book of First Peter, we understand Peter is writing to a group of believers who are undergoing persecution. And they're getting ready to enter into persecution. And Peter says, set your hope on what is to come. The grace that will be brought to you when Christ returns. You see, this is the hope for the believer. In Titus chapter 2, and verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, awaiting for our, ble- waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. David continues praising by blessing God for his faithfulness. After considering his inheritance, it's as if David bursts forth into praise. Bless the Lord, he says. I bless the Lord. Yes, the one who, who gives me counsel. 
Perhaps David is talking here when he meditates on the Lord. And the Lord brings to his mind the truth of his word. And in that he receives counsel. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So David entrusts himself to the Lord by by praising to him. Praising him. He's confident. And he's content in his inheritance. As New Testament believers we understand that our inheritance is in Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished, we entrust ourselves to the Lord by praising him. In Ephesians, we read, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And so, in one sense, we have received this, haven't we? We've obtained our inheritance. Consider what is true for the believer. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Our sins have been atoned for. Our guilt has been removed. We have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been born again. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been forgiven. This is the present reality for the believer. And yet, there is more to come. There is more to come. In Ephesians, he continues, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. As believers in a fallen world, we sometimes struggle to remember who we are, what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Our new identity, the new identity we have in Christ. The inheritance that we have received and the inheritance that awaits us. And so as we consider these words of the psalm, we consider our inheritance in the Lord. We entrust ourselves to the Lord by praising him. And we do so because of what Christ has accomplished. We should ask ourselves, are we Are we satisfied in Christ? Do we revel in his goodness? In the life that we have in him? To know that he is our only savior? To know that his mercies are new every morning and that his faithfulness is great? So we've seen That because of what Christ has accomplished, we should entrust ourselves to the Lord by praying to him and by praising him and and finally by committing our way to him. We entrust ourselves to the Lord by committing our way to him. David boldly proclaims, I have set the Lord always before me. I meditate on the Lord. I contemplate the Lord. We remember Psalm 1. Who, and blessed is the man who does what? Who meditates on the Lord. On his word day and night. 
Psalm 119 and verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. David has committed his way to the Lord. David was resolved to seek the Lord. And to commit his way to him. This has always been the way of the saints. Committing themselves to the Lord. We go back again to the story of Joseph. All the way back in the book of Genesis, we read this familiar story. In chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. And in verse 6 we read, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. And then this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you see? Joseph was resolved to set the Lord before him. Joseph was resolved to commit his way to the Lord. Same as David. This is the way of the saints throughout history. The people of God commit their way to God. Consider Jonathan Edwards, the brilliant theologian and preacher who God used in a mighty way during the Great Awakening in the mid-1700s. At just 19 years of age, he composed his 70 resolutions And I'm going to read to you a few lines from his introduction. Listen to what Edward says. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. His first resolution is as follows. Resolved. It should have our attention, shouldn't it? Resolved. We might say, I'm committed to do this. He writes, Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure, in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. That's hard, huh? He's basically saying, from now... For as long as the Lord gives me life. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this. Whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Here is a man resolved to commit his way to the Lord. This is the way of the saints. Joseph and David And Edwards, and we today, we're called to commit our ways to the Lord. So we ask ourselves, am I resolved 
to commit my way to the Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask this morning, why not? Why continue in rebellion against a holy God? I plead with you this morning to turn from your sin and put your faith in the one who alone can save you. Stop believing the lie. Stop believing the lie that you will be be denied some good thing by surrendering your life to the Lord. Scripture says that the Lord withholds No good thing. No good thing from those who walk uprightly. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the call is to repent. It's to repent. It's to turn away from your sin and put your trust in Christ alone. It's to forsake all that you're clinging to And come to the Lord and say, I have nothing to offer. But I believe that your sacrifice is sufficient. I believe that you bore the wrath that I deserved. And I trust you. And for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have been born again, the call for us is to commit our way to the Lord. Commit our way to the Lord. David concludes verse 8 there by declaring that because the Lord is at his right hand, he will not be shaken. In the verses that follow then, we see the results of, of committing our way to the Lord. And the results are joy and security. Joy and security. What a happy place for a person to be, secure, resting confidently in the Lord. In verse 10, then, David rejoices because his soul has been delivered. It's likely he was delivered from the present evil. But this verse takes on great significance, messianic significance. We learn from this reading uh, the New Testament, that David speaks prophetically here about Jesus and the resurrection. Turn briefly to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon to the Jews telling them that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and yet they were responsible because they had put him to death. And then Peter quotes Psalm 16 in verse 29, and then following verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you, re- that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The glorious reality is that death could not hold our Savior. Christ was resurrected from the dead. And it was about this resurrection of the Son of God that David wrote some 1,000 years before Jesus came to earth. This is the hope for the believer. And so we interpret this psalm through a post-resurrection lens and understand that David is, is looking prophetically ahead. And what came to pass for the Messiah namely his resurrection, is true for every believer. We've been resurrected. We've been given new life. And we look forward to our future and final resurrection. Therefore, we need not fear this life, the difficulties of this life. We need not fear the life that is to come. We can say with the apostle, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We rejoice because Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. And in the same way that Christ was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. So we remember, like David, that we can experience fullness of joy when we commit our way to the Lord. Even in the midst of adversity, especially in the midst of adversity, in heartache and in pain and in suffering, why is this true? How can we rejoice in this? Because our Lord won't leave us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so David entrusted himself to the Lord by committing his way to him. And so we ask the question to whom will we turn? To whom will we turn? What person or thing in this created world can bring fullness of joy like our Savior? Entrust yourself to the Lord today. This is the call for us. Entrust ourselves to the Lord. Commit our way to him. Be resolved to follow in the footsteps of the Savior. When we started, we said that life in a fallen world is difficult. Right? We're engaged in a spiritual battle. Day after day after day. And our hearts are prone to seek refuge in things that are not God. As we consider our lives, we remember that we're headed towards an end. We're headed toward the grave. And although we don't know the time of our death, one thing is certain, death will come. And so Psalm 16 calls us to seek refuge in the Lord. To entrust ourselves to his care. We can do so because of what Christ has accomplished. Our our prayers ascend to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We offer our praise to God because of the salvation accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we commit our way to God because our eternal salvation is secure 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of joy is found in the presence of our God. Because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we will dwell forever in the presence of God. By God's grace, may each of us entrust ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Help us to entrust ourselves to you. And for as long as you give us life, we pray through Christ. Amen.